Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep, "Flowering Evil" by Margaret Saint Clair. This is first published in Planet Story, some uh, summer 1950. I believe this will be the fourth uh, Margaret Saint Clair, or no, no, the fifth Margaret Saint Clair. Uh, we've done on this podcast and we we're just talking about how we're, we've got other ones uh, planned so clearly somebody we've come to love on this show and uh, I read this I, I read this um, uh, I had my mom read me this one and I'm like yep this is another one for Eric so I sent it off to you and then in rereading it um, and making my notes I come I'm like I understand why I like her stuff when you start analyzing it. Like, it's just really good. She's got technical ability, smooth writing, and she brings ideas to the table. That's what I want. I agree. Uh, I would also note, and I wonder how you feel about this, Jesse, that the brings ideas to the table is done in in a way that might slip below some people's notice, a conscious notice at mm-hmm. least. And I think there are people who like, I mean, those who say, well, science fiction is a literature of ideas, mm-hmm. um, not of character, but of ideas. Uh, yeah, um, that's me. <laughs> and they like, well, I won't say that it's you. Maybe it is you. Um, but I think some people like to have the ideas be conspicuous. Mm-hmm. And then there are other people, um, and this also may be you, um, who like to know that there are ideas that are, even if there are conspicuous ones in this tale, they're also more subtle. They are, as we say in the, the name of our podcast, they are deep. Mm-hmm. And some of those things that are deep don't appear immediately, you know, still waters run deep or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, with Margaret St. Clair, certainly with this story, um, I think a lot of the things I would think of as ideas, mm-hmm. actually, uh, they're not made explicit at all, although there are others that are. So tell me, um, Tell us a little about Sinclair, and then maybe we'll talk about what the story has. And then I'd like to know which ideas you have in mind. Um, okay. Well, uh, first, you know, we've done some shows on her, and I recommend everybody read her her stuff. The ones we've all posted are terrific so far. We've got Garden of Evil, which is kind of connected to this story, Flowering Evil. Uh, Dreadful Dreamer, which is a uh, set on Mars, and it's a... Uh, it's very wistful compared to this one, I think, which is much more humorous. And, of course, The Dancers, which is a very brief story and has big, big, big ideas. It may be the biggest. Um, this one's very subtle. Um, and I, I, I want to point out that she is one of these people who was a woman. You can tell by her name, Margaret. Right. Um, now, there are lots of women writing SF at this period in the 50s and such. Uh, some of them are hidden by their initials. Some of them uh, in later decades will 
hide their identity behind male pseudonyms. Um, there's some possibility that some male pseudonyms are being used by women in this period. But if even if she didn't, you know, present her name as it was, if she had um, hidden behind a pseudonym, a male pseudonym or initials, I would still say this is a pretty terrific story uh, about... Uh, from a perspective of a woman, right? What's so interesting to me is that this is a planet story story, which is one of my favorite magazines. It's it's set w- usually within the solar system, if not our solar system, some other solar system. Um, and they've got a planet, and there's weird things on that planet, and that's where the interest comes from. Here, the planet is Earth, but our... Uh, heroine <laughs> um who isn't we're told in the um in the editorial introduction is an aunt um aunt amy uh, dinsmore doesn't leave earth she goes around earth all over the place but she's earthbound but she has a nephew and a friend um maybe more than a friend um who are space travelers always out exiting visiting exotic places and she takes the things they bring back to her um and does things with them and then they enjoy the fruits of her labor um i think that this is tied up i she must i i do not know that she had a hot house margaret st Clair, but she knows enough about uh raising of plants to make me blush and i do a lot of uh plant work <laughs> you know uh, shoveling uh, dirt and moving trees around and uh, raking. Uh, and I know a lot about plants, and she's she's obviously knows more than I do. So uh, I know we know that about her, but when you start thinking about women and plants, uh, especially poisonous plants, it makes you start thinking about her other nature, which was she was a witch. <laughs> Margaret Sinclair was a Wiccan, right? And... Uh, Obviously, she has some interest in not just, you know, the label, but the practice. And part of that practice is you know about the plants and their possibilities to both kill and to heal, to make sick and to make better. And uh, this story has that, too. So if you you gave me a blind test and said, which of these three stories was written by Margaret St. Clair, you know, from... This issue of Planet Stories, so there's a Ray Bradbury in there, you know, I think I would be able to identify that. And there's uh, an, uh, a Stanley Mullen story, you know, a few other famous, semi-famous authors from the period. I would say this is the Margaret St. Clair. Um, mm-hmm. And so, I, I, of her, I don't know that much more than what, you know, we've discussed before. But this story makes me, again, really notice that she does know what she's talking about when it comes to a subject I'm a little bit familiar with. Mm-hmm. So you're impressed by that. I, I am. You should be. Yeah. It's hard to know how much that we know about the life of the author should influence how we read the story. So, mm-hmm. for instance, uh, yes, she was a Wiccan. But so was her husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and here we have a, it's an interesting relationship issue. As you say, um, Amy Dinsmore has a friend, or perhaps he's more than a friend. Mm-hmm. Well, 
apparently Amy Dinsmore has a nephew, but we don't see any children. There was no sign that she ever had any children, Mm -hmm. nor did Margaret St. Clair. Mm -hmm. So um, is she writing a story here about a woman who knows gardening? And uh, as we'll see, I'll give a little summary if you like, Mm -hmm. um, almost succumbs to a, a foreign vegetable um, <laughs> but in fact she triumphs at the end and and makes good good use of it um, maybe this is in fact an autobiographical story <laughs> not in a literal sense yep. I mean I don't expect that she had a nephew who brought her cuttings from a an, a, a, a distant planet but uh, the idea that she tends her own garden mm-hmm. and she tames the exotic Although the exotic does have the possibility of uh, of putting a woman down, mm-hmm. um, there there may be a lot there about uh, Margaret St. Clair, who, by the way, um, worth reminding ourselves, um, was a pretty physical lady. Mm-hmm. Um, she and her husband were known for uh, gardening in the nude and being uh, leaders in the natura- naturism movement. Mm-hmm. Um, traveled widely and not always well clothed <laughs> so here we have a very physical story it's about food and plants and some kinds of relations mm-hmm. so here's how flowering evil begins captain bjornson shook a grizzled head i never saw a plant i liked the looks of less he said i don't know how it got through the planetary plant quarantine you take my advice amy and watch out for it he took another of the little jeel and nut cookies from the quaint old lucite platter and bit into it appreciatively mrs dinsmore sniffed i don't know what you're driving at she said coldly or why you're so prejudiced against my little rambler you know perfectly well that robert would never send me anything the least bit dangerous and right away subtly we have a uh, a conflict between bjornson's uh, attentions from aunt amy or sorry from amy and Robert's attentions from Aunt Amy. Mm -hmm. And it turns out as we go through the story, we find that um, Robert, this nephew, is quite important. He is the uh, third mate (laughs) of an interplanetary spaceship freighter with a regular run. Mm -hmm. And Captain Bjornsson, who has a prosthetic foot, so Mm -hmm. he's already had his Achilles uh, moment, Mm -hmm. um, is a retired third mate. Um, so there's interesting sense of competition going on mm-hmm. for these two men who both want Amy's food. And uh, how well it's written. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's, an, it's an ancient Lucite, an ancient, excuse me, a quaint old Lucite platter. Mm-hmm. Um, this story was published in 1950, as you said, and Lucite was first marketed in 1936. Mm-hmm. So a 14-year-old really new innovation is already being cast into mm-hmm. the past. So what do we have here? We have Amy, having been warned, tending to her garden. She has a hot house and she's actually a couple of different growing environments. And this thing, this cutting that her nephew had gotten her, which looked like it was pretty much dead, grows. And she finds things nearby. Uh, she starts to have trouble sleeping. Then she finds on the path outside the hothouse what looks like 
the the scale the the skin remains uh, uh, and bone of a rabbit that's had every other piece of soft tissue sucked out of it somehow, mm-hmm. and then she hears cats um, screaming in the night, just as cats do. Um, and the next day, she finds again these kinds of. Uh, it's hard to tell, but what horrible thing has gone on? And Aunt Amy has a habit of soap carving. She likes that, and uh, and her nephew, who brings her these exotic cuttings. Her nephew is one of the few who really appreciates her soap carvings. Um, And one day while she is soap carving, she suddenly realizes she's forgotten to check her hot house that morning. And as she goes out, she recognizes that she's moving under compulsion. And she gets there and this thing has grown big enough. And it turns out that when it pulls back certain parts of its anatomy, there is a, a hollow thorn that looks like a syringe that could take blood from your body. And there looks like there's a maw under another part. And it begins to, to it holds her transfixed. It begins to pierce her, her arm. And at that moment, she senses that it begins almost to swoon with its satisfaction of getting the blood. And at that moment of swooning, she is able to break its psychic hole, take the knife, the carving knife that she still has in her hand, she throws the soap into the maw, takes the knife, and then the story changes. Mm-hmm. And what we see is a dinner party for Captain Bjornson, nephew Robert, eating a meal prepared by Aunt Amy or Amy, uh, whom both agree uh, who both agree is the best cook <laughs> in the system mm-hmm. not just in the neighborhood in the system and she's cooking something new they don't know what it is and she just says well it's just something i found and we realize what she's done is she's managed to kill this thing which would have killed her and instead of it eating her <laughs> she eats it and actually gives it to the men so we have a competition between men and uh, women and the plant turns out to be penile and aggressive and lethal Mm -hmm. but she manages to bring it um, bring it to her own uses and turns it into food for other men I uh, I won't say more because I I want you to talk about your sense of where it fits. Let me just uh, read the very ending so we get a sense of the tone. Mm-hmm. By the way, Aunt Amy, Bob said, laying down his fork. So the story begins with the Jila nut cookies and it ends with this meal. By the way, Aunt Amy, Bob said, laying down his fork. After I sent you that plant, I heard it was supposed to be carnivorous. I forgot to mention it in my last gram. You didn't get into any trouble with it, did you? No, it died, Amy said smoothly. I had to throw it out. Too bad. (laughs) She brightened. Pass your plate, Robert, dear, she said. Mm -hmm. So, uh, one of the... One of the things I like to do is I, I, I like to mental model people. 
You know, I think this is why Eric will like this story. <laughs> so uh, there were things in here that I think, oh, this is totally an Eric story. And then other things in here like, ooh, that's interesting. Eric will have something to say about this. So we've got, um, as, a, as a vegetarian, right, you've got some ideas about what should be on a plate and in the plate in front of you, what you are willing to put in your mouth. Um, here we've got a plant that, it's, it tastes like an animal, probably is an animal, right? Or at least partially animal. Um, Mrs. Dinsmore likes to serve uh, meat to her men. Um, we have a choice of uh, ox, uh, beef. <laughs> she doesn't mention pigs until later. Um, and then there's a bolo, which is uh, apparently a, an animal from one of these other planets in the solar system. Um, so there is a lot of food going on in here. Um, she's got her side hustle, which is uh, those uh, <laughs> paint, uh, soap soap carvings. And I, right. at first, when I first read it, I thought, oh, that's a soap stone she needs. But no, it's mm-hmm. literally soap, which is mm-hmm. very easy to cut. Um, and we're told that soap is quite hard to get now because everybody uses detergents instead of soap. And uh, that's the other thing that's going on in here, that this is this is definitely a science fiction story. It isn't, you know, a fantasy story. Um, and one of the ways we know that is all the tech, all the tech changes that have changed people's lives throughout here. And some of it is obvious through some little transformed lang- language, which is something I know you're very interested in. Um, and... And so when I when I notice those things in the second read, I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. It really adds sort of a verisimilitude to the story, but also gives us a sense of of how how the world around her works. So as you point out that opening paragraph, the old lucite platter. Lucite is uh, also known as plexiglass. It's something that yeah didn't really get. Um, into common usage as a uh, product for regular people until uh, after World War II. So like in the 40, late 40s, very early 50s, and that's where we are here in summer 1950. But we're told it's old and quaint, which is interesting. I, I'm not sure if plexiglass would make a good uh, plate, but it won't break when you drop it. That's one of the <laughs> things about it. It was used like as... Um, uh, canopies for P-51 Mustangs, right? Allowing them to right. be smooth rather than having uh, plate glass on the side. When when that stuff gets shatters, it goes in the pilot's eyes and it does way worse damage than plexiglass does. So right. we turn the um, uh, plowshare plow the weapons and turn that tech into something we can use in the civilian world. And that's all throughout the story. Um, at one point, she turns on a, a florer, um, and I went, what's, oh, and then I realized, oh, that's a fluorescent light. This is something mm-hmm. that they used during World War II to light up those giant factories that all the women were working in during the war, making those tanks and those uh, P-51s. And there's tech throughout this story. Uh, at one point, her whole living room moves. She changes the angle. Um by, you know, throwing a switch so that she can get better light when she's making that, that, um, I'll, I'll just read that section. Amy rotated the living room on its axis until the light was exactly right and then sat down in front of the carving desk. So uh, when I want to get better light, I go towards the window 
and uh, you know pull the shades she just rotates the building that's pretty cool mm-hmm. um we yep. got those synthetic the detergents i mentioned but she also uses a some sort of drug uh to help her sleep she hadn't felt so rested and refreshed in weeks she put the somni spray maybe she she'd thought of using it before she wouldn't have had those horrid nightmares back in the closet right so that's interesting but I d- I'm not sure that that Somni spray is there just to show off the tech. In fact, I think what it is 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 to rem- it's kind of a red herring to distract from the fact where these nightmares are coming from. She's using the tech to help tell the story, but also as like a kind of a trick to the reader to sort of not get what she's just pointed to a second ago, and that's. Skillful. Now that there, I, I think it's skillful too. But I would disagree. With what the effect is? Maybe it's just the difference between your reading and mine. Mm-hmm. Um, right after she, um, after this happens, she goes out and she looks and she finds the two cat, the remains of mm-hmm. the two cats. Um, I immediately assumed that the reason that she did not have troubled sleep was because the plant had been satiated by yeah, the meal. Yeah, exactly. And so what What I see here is not a red herring for us. It's a red herring for Amy. Indeed. She misunderstands what what is driving her sleep satisfaction. But we can see it. So mm-hmm. we get to be smarter than she is about what's going on, which I think is very nice. It makes her, Amy, um, someone that wh- whom we would like to study. Yeah, and uh, I, I think it adds to the characterization because Sweet Aunt Amy um, really it doesn't like to think of things. Uh, she said, "How can you speak badly about mm-hmm. this plant that my nephew Robert sent to me?" Who's clearly very careless based on what he's brought her in the past. Exactly, which Captain Bjornson knows. Mm-hmm. I, there are other things here that are. Along the line of what you said, but this is, as I suggested, some things that are a little more hidden than others. Not only is Lucite first available in 1936, but there's another product that comes on the market about a year earlier than that. Um, It's a product made of uh, scraps uh, from slaughterhouses, things that you couldn't really sell as full cuts of meat. But you could could make a stew out of them. Mm Mm-hmm and sell it uh, tinned up, and people might be able to enjoy that. In fact, if you put enough seasoning in it, some people might actually really, really want it. And that product, which was famous during the war because Mm -hmm. it was crucial for the war effort and was well-known when I was growing up in the 50s. I'm going to guess. still was available. Go ahead. Spam. No. Oh. Dinty Moore Stew. Oh, okay. Dinty Moore Stew. Amy Dinsmore. Uh-huh. Is the best cook in the system. And Amy, of course, um, means friend. It's also uh, beloved in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Amy Dinsmore, and what does she do with this thing? She makes a stew out of yeah, it. Yeah, she does. She even tells us how she's going to do it. Um I think that that Margaret St. Clair is giving us a chance to 
to think of some things that are kind of cute, but I think they go beyond cute. I agree. You mentioned you you mentioned in discussing the tech mm-hmm. that real soap was hard to get because there's artificial detergents in mm-hmm. it, and that makes it harder to carve. Now, that's true. Um, it's hard, soap that's made with artificial detergents does not carve as smoothly and easily as so-called natural soap. That's an interesting fact. But here's another interesting fact that I think in 1950, Margaret St. Clair would have known um, because she probably learned it in school, if not on the farm where she grew up, uh, just as I learned it in school in Brooklyn. Um, Natural soap is made with lye, which is just something that you can leach out of the ashes of burned wood. Mm -hmm. You burn wood, you let water go through it, and what's left can be lye, which Mm -hmm. is highly caustic. And you mix that with lard or tallow, Mm -hmm. animal fat. It can be done not as easily with vegetable oils. So basically, you take your beef, and when you're done slaughtering it, you scrape off the extra fat inside the skin, you mix it with tallow, with lye, lye, and you get soap. Mm -hmm. This is Amy Dinsmore's hobby. She takes every part of the animal. And she turns it to her use. She makes art out of it that her nephew can enjoy. And she makes food out of it that everybody can enjoy. That food that she threw into the mouth of the the maw of the plant, (laughs) natural soap is made with lye. And it is an animal product, normally speaking. Mm -hmm. That stuns this plant. She is in control. The story that comes back to my mind, Jesse, mm-hmm. is the story of the, the flowering of the strange orchid by H.G. Oh, yeah. Wells, right? Where this strange bulb sent from South America turns out to be cannibalistic. And when the, the unmarried cousin, housekeeper of the male narrator, goes out to the hothouse and sees him lying on the ground there with the tendrils into him, she breaks the windows of the hothouse so that the cold air of the English winter can kill the plant and he recovers. Again, plants, people, Mm -hmm. men, women. This is a feminist story. And I noticed when you talked about her life, you didn't bother mentioning that her husband was a witch too. Mm. And I think frankly, you're right. (laughs) It's irrelevant. This is a writer who does not define herself by the other people around her. Mm. She defines herself by the way in which she can make the world work. She doesn't need a child, but she has strong relations with people who admire her from generation to generation. She puts flowering evil behind her Mm. and makes it something to enrich us. She she says at one point, or... It's said of her. Um, if she asked Hjalmar, that's the captain who may be closer than just a friend, uh, to help her, he'd either make an enormous masculine fuss over it. She still remembered that time she'd asked him to put a towel rack for her up and arrived with a set of socket wrenches, a hand electric drill, four pairs of pliers, and a portable arc welding outfit. Or he'd poo-poo and pish-tush her into silence. 
<laughs> so she doesn't tell him about the fact that she almost died from something her nephew brought her. She likes the attention of both men, but she also wants to be in charge. Yeah. And in fact, in a uh, you, you noted that there are many women writing science fiction at this period, many of them hiding their gender behind uh, pseudonyms or um, initials names that initials or, or names you can't you can't identify with gender like Pat or Chris mm-hmm. um, and but she doesn't she doesn't she wants to be known for what she is and what she can make and so in a story that looks really quite simple right I mean obviously something's going to go wrong with this but the tone is light enough that you know that Aunt Amy is going to be fine it's a story about eating but it's really also a story about providing the food you know I've mentioned before that in fairy tales you don't say I love you you just give someone food Mm -hmm. and Right, and that's the role of the mother. And the anti-mother, the witch, as in Hansel and Gretel, mm. instead of wanting to feed you, wants to eat you. So here we have a conflict between someone who really knows how to mother and nurture and something that would do just the opposite. Suck the very meat off your bones. And the woman prevails. It's a story about how women prevail. Men may be important. They bring the tools, they bring the cuttings. But ultimately, the world is a woman's. She wants to make sure that when we think about women, we realize there's always more to say. Thanks very much for listening. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio.